Turn with me tonight to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4. We're just going to read from verse 13. Follow with me in your Bible if you have a copy. It's good to hear the words. It's even better to see them. Scripture says, Blessed is he that readeth the words of the prophecy of this book. The words will come up on the screen for all here online. We're reading, of course, from the authorized version. Let's hear the word of God. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which have not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. And the woman Her neighbors gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Phares. Phares begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text tonight is taken from Ruth chapter 4, verses 13, right through to 15. And I've entitled this message tonight... Lessons from the birth of a baby. So we're thinking in particular of Ruth's baby. It says in Ruth 4.13, And she bare a son. Now the book of Ruth is named after the main character in the narrative, namely Ruth herself. So the book of Ruth is really a story of Ruth the Moabite is. It's a short story, four chapters. And if I was going to expound the book, we could think of a number of things. We could think about Ruth the worshipper. Remember, Ruth was born and reared in the land of Moab. She was born into an idolatrous family. She grew up worshipping the heathen deity, Chemosh. And yet, providentially in her life, she met a backslidden family that had come out of Bethlehem, Judah, into Moab. Elimelech, Naomi, Malon, and Kilion. This family was out of the will of God. And yet the Lord used this family to speak to Ruth's heart 
And Ruth the Moabiteess became a woman of faith. And her life was changed and she trusted in the Lord. And this woman had a testimony that she was trusting in the Lord. Because we read in Ruth chapter 2 and in the verse 12. Under whose wings, speaking of the Lord God, art thou come to trust? We could also think tonight of Ruth the widow. You see, Ruth married one of Elimelech and Naomi's sons called Malon. I want you to think of this young woman in a married state, and then sadly, Malon died not long after they were married, and she became a, a widow. So you've got to think of a young bride standing at the graveside, and she's weeping, and she's brokenhearted, and she's distraught. And not only did she stand at the graveside of her husband, Malon, but she stood at the graveside of her brother-in-law, Kilion, and even her father-in-law, Elimelech. Can you imagine the pain, the sorrow of death that came into her life? You think of the impact that it had upon her. Now think of another thing, Ruth the walker. Because she left the land of Moab, the land of her birth, she took a journey on foot along with Naomi to go to Bethlehem, Judah. The family was in Moab for 10 years. The journey was about 65 miles in length. Probably from, what could we say, carried off to Port Rush. And she's in the company of Naomi all that time. And at the border, she's tested. She's urged to go back. And remember Ruth's famous saying, Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16, when she said this, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. Ruth would not go back. It's like, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Thy God will be my God. Thy people will be my people. Then think about Ruth the worker. Whenever she come to Bethlehem, Judah, it was a time of barley harvest. See, God was at work providentially. But she just didn't go into some sort of lodging and sit idle. She didn't eat the bread of idleness. She had the mindset of, I don't work, I won't eat. She had a good work ethic. She didn't waste time gossiping. She wasn't idle, daydreaming. She wasn't wishing for things. No, she was a worker. She began to work with her own hands. She was a diligent, hard-working woman in the field at barley harvest. Think about Ruth the witness. Look at chapter 3, verse 11. What Boaz said about her. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. In other words, she stood out. This young woman had caught the eye of Boaz. You see, God was at work. God was superintending her life. Think of Ruth the waitress. It says there in Ruth chapter 3 and verse 13, Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well... Let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. And then I want you to think also of Ruth and the wedding. You see, in chapter 4, verse 13 to the end, 
We could say the story of Ruth ends with a wedding. Surely every good story ends with a wedding. We all love a happy ending, don't we? Boaz, a Jew, marries a Gentile Moabitish woman called Ruth. There's two books in the Bible named after women, young people. One is Ruth and the other is Esther, and both of them have a wedding in it. And in Ruth, Boaz, a Jew, marries a Gentile woman called Ruth. And in Esther, um, there's another wedding, and a Gentile marries a Jewish girl called Esther. And in this chapter 4, really from verse 13 onwards, you've got three things that are important. They all start with B. You've got a bridegroom called Boaz. That's a whole sermon in itself, the kinsman redeemer. You've got a bride. We could say, here comes the bride. Ruth was the bride, marrying Boaz. That's a sermon again, all in itself. But you've also got a baby. There's a baby born to Ruth. Now we know his name. Verse 17, and the woman, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then we read then, And Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. Ruth 4, 21, 22. I thought of those words, And she bare a son. In verse 13, and I thought to myself, Ruth's baby, what lessons can we learn from the birth of a baby? Four things. I want you to think, first of all, of the getting of the baby. You see, verse 13 of chapter 4 has got important details that we ought not to miss. Boaz took Ruth to wife. You've got to think of a marriage ceremony taking place. It says in the scriptures there, if you look at it, it says, so Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And then we read, and when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. So you've got to picture a wedding day, a legal ceremony taking place, she became his, his wife. He not only married her, but after the marriage, then went in unto her. And that's the emphasis. And I want to emphasize that tonight. The sexual part of a relationship is reserved for after the wedding. You see, Ruth, as a young lady, I believe, had a good moral judgment. She was above reproach. She was really impeccable. Remember what Boaz said in Ruth chapter 3 and verse 11. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. This young woman stood out. That this young woman had such a thing as purity of life. Proverbs 31.10 asks, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price as far above rubies? And Ruth's a great example. She's a role model. And really she stands as a young woman who's a role model for young women everywhere. And she would say to them, keep yourself pure. Flee also useful lust. Flee fornication. This young lady saved and just trusting in the Lord. And here's the wonderful thing is, she's mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. Do you know there's four women mentioned 
in the genealogy of Christ. You've got Bathsheba, you've got Rahab, and you've got Tamar. You examine the lives of those three women, and they're all known for a former life of immorality and adultery. Only one out of the four was kept pure by the grace of God, and Ruth was one of them. And let me add something else tonight. Think of Dinah, Genesis 35. She's the daughter of Jacob, a beautiful girl, and a man by the name of Shechem. He took her, took her out of wedlock, and brutally defiled her and forcibly raped her. The purity of life was gone. It was stolen. The Bible says Shechem did that which, was, which ought not to have been done. It was a horrible thing to have done. It was wrong. And you know, I would say this tonight to the young men. Remember choices of consequences. And every wrong choice can lead to a life of pain and regret that can be carried into a lifetime, even into generations. And this Bible tonight that I have in my hand, which is before you, this is what it says in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all, the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge I could say more. I could open up my heart to you tonight, but I can't. I want you to think of the getting of the baby. I want you to think, secondly, of the gift of the baby. If you underline the words in chapter 4, verse 13, and she bare a son. Now, young people, where was the baby born? The answer is very simple. Bethlehem, Judah. Did you know that Bethlehem is mostly associated with children? It's associated in the Bible with the death of children after the birth of Jesus Christ. When Herod realized he was mocked by the wise men, he sent his army, his soldiers into Bethlehem, Judah, and they killed all the little ones, two years of age and under. How do I know that? Did I make that up? Is that in the Bible? Absolutely. It's part of the Christmas story. Look at Matthew chapter 2. And we read it there in verses 16 and verse 17. Matthew 2, 16 and 17. Let me read it out so that you can hear it as well as see it. It says this. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they were not. You think of the grief of that community at that time. The murder of all the children that were males, two years and under. I was thinking about Kentucky this afternoon. Thinking about these cyclones that came and the death of over 100 people. And the shock waves throughout that community. The numb and the pain and the sorrow. You see, it's a time of great sadness. The death of children is especially associated with Bethlehem. But also, the birth of children is associated with Bethlehem. See, Bethlehem's not a large town. 
Do you know that it was so small that it was left out of the register in the book of Joshua? Joshua chapter 15, 20 to verse 63. It's not mentioned at all. Why? Well, we sing at Christmas time, O little town of Bethlehem. And yet in that little town that was so insignificant, not to register, famous births took place. Where was Benjamin born? Genesis 35, 16 to 18. Bethlehem. His mother died there, Rachel. She was buried there to the tomb of Rachel in Bethlehem to this day. Was David not born in Bethlehem? Chosen to be the king of Israel? 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. He was the second king of Israel. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, Micah 5 and 2, fulfilling the prophecy of Luke 2 and 4, Luke 2 and 11, Luke 2 and 15. Where was Jesus Christ born? Bethlehem. It's a very special place. Not only think of the gift of the baby, where the baby was born, but think of what the baby meant. God was at work. Look look what it says in the text. If you look again at Ruth chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. Do you see that? Now, you see, the Lord had saved her in Moab. The Lord had gifted her the gift of faith and repentance. The Lord had changed and transformed her. The Lord had brought her from Moab. And she's now living in Bethlehem, Judah. The Lord had led her every step of the way. And she came at the right time. The time of barley harvest. And she happened to be in the right field. The field owned by Boaz, who was a a kinsman redeemer. And at their first meeting, he fell in love with her and and she had a fancy and a liking for him. You see, God was at work. All things work together for good to them that love God and to them are the called according to this purpose. And I believe the Lord gave Boaz to Ruth and vice versa, he gave Ruth to Boaz. And in providence, he brought them together and they were married. And he blessed them with a son. The Lord gave her conception. And I put it to you tonight, this baby was a very joyous gift. You see, young people, who is the giver of life? The Lord is. This man, child, this boy, was God's gift to them. See, God is sovereign over life. In time, he does give the gift of children. But at other times, he doesn't. Now, it's all part of his plan and purpose. And I have to say tonight to those who can't have children, it's heartbreaking, very distressing. Life can be full of disappointment, not easy, very hard. And what do we do? Well, we remember that God is on the throne and God is in control and God is always, and God is still loving in all his ways. And even though it's a thing that you can't understand and get your head round, Rather than than kick against it, we've got to lean on his all-wise and good providence. As we think about the gift of this baby, remember tonight that children are precious. The fruit of the womb is his reward. They're the Lord's heritage. And you see, in the context here, 
There was a readiness to rejoice at the birth of this child. It says there in verse 14, And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. We'll pause there. Blessed be the Lord. What were they doing? They were praising the Lord. See, the woman came to see. The woman loved to see newborn babies. And they rejoiced. Friends, families, and neighbors. And they give praise to the Lord. They not only come to see, but they come to praise and give thanks unto the Lord. The first word out of their mouth was, Blessed be the Lord. There's a son born to Naomi. And they're thankful. And they've got praising hearts. And they recognize that this child is a precious gift of the Lord. And there's a readiness to rejoice. But there's not only a readiness to rejoice, but there's a recognition to rejoice. The fruit of the womb, the Bible says, is his reward. Psalm 127, verse 5. And sadly today, that's not the case. Far too many children are not viewed as special, not viewed as precious. You think of how many babies have been disregarded or destroyed through the evil act of abortion. 1967, right through to today, it's slightly over nine million little babies murdered. The Bible says thou shalt not kill. And yet those that violate such murderous acts towards precious children, they distance themselves from that charge and they say, but life doesn't begin at conception. But it does. They say, but the baby in the womb's not a child. It's a lump of cells that they call a fetus. But that's a lie. That's not according to the word of God. Because here in the book of Ruth, what, what do we read? Look at verse 13. The Lord gave her conception. And she bare a son. If we were to think tonight of Psalm 139, verses 13 to 15, we would see that the Lord designed and made us. He is our creator and he is our maker. He said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, Jeremiah, I have called thee. Before I formed thee, I knew thee, and I called thee and sanctified thee and set thee apart. The Lord spoke to him as a living person, not a thing. He was a living person in the heart and mind of God. And Job 3 and 3 says this, Let thy days perish. A man-child is conceived. And that nails it. A man-child is conceived. See, I believe tonight abortion is murder. And the maltreatment and the ill-treatment of the children, whether they're in the womb or out of the womb, is wrong in the eyes of God. And that's why the murder of that little boy, age six, was so horrendous and so shocking in our United Kingdom. A readiness to rejoice, a recognition to rejoice, but a reason to rejoice. Children, of course, bring a grave responsibility upon parents. Parents have not only rights, but they have obligations. And God will hold them to account. And God will see to it that they're held to account for the care of the children. 
and we've got to care for them physically and care for them materially and care for them emotionally and care for them spiritually. If you think of the words there in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, and we read there in uh, verses 1 to 3 the following statement. Listen to these words. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long in the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. See, that all ties into that statement. Now think of Naomi again. Think of Ruth. In Moab, her husband died. Her two sons also died. Think of Ruth. In Moab, her husband died. She was married before, and she probably thought, I'm going to be on the shelf for the rest of my life. Naomi can't have any more sons. She's a young widow. And surely we could say tonight there's no greater loss than the loss of a husband, the loss of a son, the loss of a daughter, or the loss of a baby. The grief is real. It's raw. But, but here's the point. The Lord can make up in the trials of life. And the Lord can make up all that pain and grief, even the loss of a child. What was he doing here? He gave Naomi another child. He gave Ruth another husband. And Ruth then gave birth to the baby. Naomi's now a granny for the first time. Here's another boy whom she could love and cherish. And a boy in turn who would grow up to love her as granny. Now think of this family tonight. They're on a journey. Sometimes they've got pleasure and other times they've got pain. Sometimes they've tears and triumph. Sometimes they've days of grief and days of gladness. Sometimes days of delight and other times days of distress. You think of those distressing times when the husband and two sons died. And Naomi's world fell apart. The deep pain and the distress. What am I going to do? But she wasn't the only family in the Bible. Think of Job and his family. Ten children in one day buried them. Unimaginable. Think of Jacob. All these things are against me. Whenever he thought about the death of his precious Joseph and thought about the loss of Benjamin, he's thinking, where did I go wrong as a father? You see, life's full of challenges, isn't it? Full of struggles. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. We're all going to face hard circumstances and dark trials. They will come to pass in our lives. But you know, one day the day of pain will give way to the day of pleasure. One day the distress will be over and the delight will come. One day the grief will pass and the gladness will return. It's not unusual to experience the worst of days. But the worst of days give way to, to wonderful times. And the birth of a child changed it all. And is there not for us tonight a greater reason to rejoice? Not only a readiness and a recognition and a reason. But you think of our great reason to rejoice tonight. In the context here, there's a son that's recognized as a redeemer. The Bible says in Isaiah 9 and 6, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
Think of John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Where was Jesus Christ born, young people? In Bethlehem. He was the child born, but he was also the son given. And we have to think of his true humanity. We have to think of his true deity. A unique person, two natures in one body forever. And the greatest of all gifts that was ever given. He was born for us. He lived for us. He, he died for us. He rose again for us. How did this come to pass? How was it all possible? Let me tell you quickly. It was fulfilled by God's promise. Christ is God's love gift. Galatians 4 and 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent us forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. When the time was ripe, and the time was right, you had the fulfillment of God's promise. Born in Bethlehem. Not Nazareth. But Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph had to journey to Bethlehem so that there would be the fulfillment of God's promise because it was in Bethlehem he was to be born, Micah 5 and 2. It was secured by God's power. Mary asked, how can this be since I know not a man? And what did the angel Gabriel tell her there, over there in Luke chapter 1 and the verse 35? Well, listen to these words. This is what he told her. He said this, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which will be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The greatest miracle ever. The true humanity of Christ formed in the womb of the Virgin. And yet his true and essential deity was preserved and manifested so that Christ was God manifest in the flesh. I believe the incarnation and the virgin birth is a mighty demonstration of the miraculous power of God. And let me tell you something else. It was not only fulfilled by God's promise and secured by God's power, but it was endorsed by God's plan in order to be a redeemer. He had to be truly God and truly man so that he could be a perfect substitute, a perfect surety, the last Adam. To restore that which the first Adam lost. He had to be sinless. He had to be a, a willing, voluntary, vicarious sacrifice. He had to pay the price for sin. That's why he had to have the flesh and blood body. For the suffering of death. Here's the greater child of Bethlehem. And you know what? It's all foreshadowed by God's praise. Wasn't there praise for Obed among the women? The friends and the family. That was a faint foreshadowing of the greater joy that was to come. Unto you is born this day, the angel said, in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Real joy wrapped up in that vent. Luke 2 and verse 10. There's the gift of the baby. Think also of the greatness of the baby. You see, this baby was to be a tremendous blessing to this family. Listen to what it says. Blessed be the Lord which has not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, a nourisher of thine old age, for thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. Now think about it. This baby didn't bring shame or grief to his father and mother. Now I'm well aware it's sad that some children do. And we should have deep sorrow in our heart for them. And we should shed tears for them. And we should be broken in heart for them. 
But this baby was to bring tremendous blessing to the family. I want you to see him as we close tonight. See him in his superiority. It says as we finish that his name may be famous in Israel. See, he's to be highly esteemed. He's to be greatly honored. He's to reach heights in the land of Israel. He's to be a man of reputation and honor. Now think of Christ. If Obed had a name, highly esteemed, a man of honor and reputation, then think of Christ. He is a name above all names. Philippians 2, verses 8 and 9. Revelation 4 and 11. He's worthy to receive honor and glory and praise and many other. There's none other name higher than Christ. There's nothing lacking in Christ. You've got to think of his superiority. Think of him as soul mediator. She mentions, Blessed be the Lord which has not left thee this day without a kinsman. You see, he lived in such a way to perform the work and role of a kinsman redeemer. Naomi and her family were going to be taken care of. And the greatest kinsman redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a real man, a righteous man, a remarkable man with the power to redeem. And of course, it brought about his death in the tree and his shed blood. And he's now seated at the right hand of God the Father, a position of power and glory. Think of his sympathy. He shall be a restorer of thy life. Life was hard and difficult for Naomi. Days of bitter pain and grief and sorrow, trials and troubles. And now the child is born. And this child is going to be a restorer of her life. Is Jesus Christ not the great restorer among his people? What do we read over there in Psalm 69 and verse 4? We read this of Christ in a messianic psalm. Psalm 69 and verse 4. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head, that they would destroy me. Being mine enemies wrongfully are mighty, then I restored that, that which I took not away. Note the words, I restored. You see, what the first Adam lost, Jesus Christ came to restore. There's none like him. The psalmist said, He restoreth my soul. What joy and peace and comfort. He restoreth his sheep. Even the, the years that the locusts have eaten, the years that are lost in a backslidden, cold and state. He has such sympathy, a bruised reed he'll not break, a, 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 a smoking flax he'll not quench. He shall be the restorer of thy life. Oh, what joy. I want you to tell you something else, the soul supplier. Look what it says, and a nourisher of thine old age. Naomi was promised that she was going to be nourished and kept, and every need was going to be met, and she was going to be taken care of, and she had no need to fear for the future because she was going to be taken care of right unto her old age. And old age is a time when health breaks down. Is Jesus Christ not the one that we need? Who's the one that nourishes his church? Is it not Christ? Remember what we read there in Ephesians chapter 5? And we read there in verse uh, 29, a very important truth about Christ. And it mentions the word nourishing. And it's in this context. This is what it says. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord 
the church. Every need will be taken care of. And the Lord is the one who does this. Oh, that we could see the greatness of the baby here. A tremendous blessing to a family. One who stood head and shoulders. One who was a soul kinsman and mediator. One who had total sympathy to restore the, the, the life that uh, was, was battered and bruised. And one who's the sole supplier who promises nourishment even unto old age. Think of the gratitude of this baby. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Someone has rightly said, I believe it was John Flavel, closed every sermon with these words. Blessed be God for Jesus Christ. Can you say that? If there was gratitude for this child, then surely the greater child that was born in Bethlehem is the Lord Jesus. Blessed be God for Jesus Christ. What power he has. What peace he brings. What purpose he restores. Who rejuvenates the older people in the church? Is it not the young people? Do we not see the need of children and young people in the work of God? We need them. But if that's true in, in a physical and a real sense, how much true in a spiritual sense? Who is it rejuvenates and blesses and strengthens the people of God? It's none other than Christ. Here's four lessons from the birth of a baby. And I pray that the Lord will use his word to speak to our hearts if we're not saved. He'll speak to our hearts if we're cold and backslidden. He'll speak to our hearts if we're struggling. And we'll get our eyes on the greater Obed, who was born at Bethlehem and is the great kinsman redeemer of his people. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you this evening.